This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Bensiger. Thanks for tuning in today. We're going to jump right into our topic today because it might actually take longer than I thought it was going to initially. So anyway, turn, ladies, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. Yes, we're headed back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 25. I've been listening to Alistair Begg preach through 1 Samuel. I think he started it about a year ago. I don't really remember. Anyway, the sermons are wonderful, so I highly encourage you to check them out, uh, truthforlife.org. And uh, when he preached out of chapter 25 a few weeks ago, it just struck me. The story struck me, and some of the things he said um, just made me want to dig in and look at it a little more closely. So I am going to start halfway through verse 1 here. First Samuel 25, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast today. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. I wonder if they strapped on their swords. I think they did. Anyway. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. It's a lot. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. 
but she did not tell her husband, Nabal. <gasps> what? And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Uh, if you check the footnote in your Bible, Nabal means fool. That's why she's saying this. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel— my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. And she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And the story goes on, and uh, David ends up taking Abigail as his wife. So, just one chapter earlier, David had kind of a spiritual victory, if you will, because he had an opportunity to kill Saul, who has been hunting him to kill him, and he doesn't take the opportunity. He spares Saul's life because he knows that he knows that's the right thing to do. He knows that that honors God. So he's coming off of this victory, this spiritual victory, if you will, and now all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? You're not going to honor uh, my men and me, and you're not going to do as I ask here, Nabal, I'm going to kill you all. So it kind of sees how quickly we can turn, right? We need to be mindful of not being so proud of our spiritual victories, because inevitably our legs will be cut out from underneath us. 
in verse 13, we see that David is definitely ready for a fight. Every man strap on a sword. Remember, they all strapped on their swords, even David. But God is going to use a woman to accomplish his purpose. And we see that right there in verse 14. And in verse 23, you know, we see her talking to David. She knows her husband's a piece of work, to put it really nicely. And she's very blunt about that. But she comes and she says, When the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, you won't have to look back on this and feel guilty for shedding blood without cause. Please, David, don't do this. And then in verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. As Alistair Begg said in his sermon, he says that David sees Abigail and he sees also beyond her, recognizing that God is working through her to restrain him. And, and David's very upfront about that. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand for taking matters into my own hands. So what a role this woman played in the future king's life. And we see that God, God took care of Nabal, right? He didn't need David to do it. God has his own plans for that. In um, Dale Ralph Davis, his commentary on 1 Samuel, he um, has a subheading here, The Restraint of Yahweh's Providence. By providence, he writes, I simply mean that frequently mysterious, always interesting way in which Yahweh provides for his servants in their various needs. The dominant note of this chapter is that Yahweh in his timely providence restrains his chosen Cain from his own impulsive folly and wrong. I mean, don't engage in your own folly against a man who is a fool, quite literally, even by name. Four times the story confesses Yahweh's restraining action, verse 26, 33, 34, and 39. Once in Abigail's counsel, three times in David's gratitude. David in post-Abigail time had the right hermeneutic. Yahweh sent you this very day to meet me. And so we see this is very much God's providence in using Abigail to restrain David, who would be king over Israel. I mean, that's pretty significant, right? Davis goes on, he says, the text then teaches us how Yahweh rescues his servants from their own stupidity, how he restrains them, that makes me laugh, how he restrains them from executing their sinful purposes, how sometimes he graciously and firmly intercepts us on the road to folly. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. God has protected you from your own stupidity. My hand's raised really high. Sometimes he lets us do it so that we learn something, and sometimes he saves us, and I'm very thankful for the times that he has saved me. In the text, of course, Davis goes on, Yahweh does this for his anointed Cain, but Yahweh is not bound up in the biblical text. His mercy is not confined to his special servants. His vigilance over his erring people is not restricted to 1020 BC or whenever. What loving hands construct the roadblocks to our foolishness? What mercy sends frustration to our purposes? What kindness builds hindrances in our path? It is important that, like David, we respond rightly to such episodes of Yahweh's restraining providence. We could hardly do better than to worship with David's own words, Blessed be Yahweh, who has held back his servant from evil. And um, that's kind of a sweet 
commentary on this, I think. So Abigail's cameo appearance here reminds us that women can be and are key players in God's plan. We're not just necessarily on the sidelines making sandwiches and peeling potatoes. We can do that too, and that's okay. Um, and we don't all have to do something great and fantastic and earth shattering, but know that God is using you. Know that God is using you. What if Abigail had had a mindset that she should just, you know what, like let the men do their thing and I'm not going to interfere with my husband. That was his decision. And so I'm just going to stay here and make him a sandwich and we'll just, you know, let things go. Um, no, she took action. She moved to prevent bloodshed and sin. How different the story would have been if she had said, no, no, I don't want to step out of my place. Hand me another potato. Um, the book, uh, I actually recommended it to you a few episodes ago, ladies, the book Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women, written by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher. They talk a bit about Abigail in their book as well. And so reading from that, they say, like Tamar, who they just spoke about um, earlier in the same chapter, I think, Abigail was willing to risk everything to prevent an evil from happening. Like Hannah, her testimony stands in contrast with worthless men around her. She was willing to face her husband's wrath, and she was willing to declare wisdom to a man who was intent on wiping out everyone in her house. I mean, that's like kind of a big deal. Like, I'm not as brave as Abigail. I wish I were. She was brave, strong, and discerning. John Calvin writes that she is like the valiant woman of Proverbs 31. David sees that Abigail is a wise woman, employing skills of evaluation, action, and perception. And it's true. He does. He says that, right? They say here, he says, Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. So David received her gifts and repented of his decision to wipe out Nabal and his servants. Go up in peace to your house, he said. See, I have obeyed your voice and granted your petition. In this situation, David wisely chose to listen to and obey a wise woman's counsel. He and his army stood down. He recognized God was using that wise woman to give him appropriate counsel. When Abigail returned home, Nabal was holding an elaborate feast and was very drunk. In wisdom, she chose not to tell him what she had done right then. She knew it wasn't the right time. Right? Moving on, they continue to say, Abigail was content to try to do the right thing, even though her husband was a worthless fool. When it came to letting someone incur sin and cut off her family line, she acted. In wisdom, she gathered together everything necessary to appease her enemy. She acted without her husband's knowledge or permission. She directed David in the way of righteousness. The Bible doesn't censure her for her actions. Rather, she's called a woman of discernment, and King David was better off for obeying her voice. What does Abigail's story teach us? I'm continuing to read here from Worthy. It teaches us that though Christian wives are called to submit to their husband's godly leadership, that doesn't mean they should stand quietly by and do nothing while their husband foolishly brings destruction on himself and others. Undoubtedly, Abigail knew that Nabal wouldn't approve of her actions with David, but there was more at stake here than Nabal's approval or censure. Lives were at stake, so she acted. And I like that approach as well. She acted, obviously, in the wisdom of the Lord. She was obviously a godly woman. 
uh, guided by um, the Spirit of the Lord and acting in discernment and wisdom granted by him. David recognized it. David obeyed and heeded her voice. What a story. A story that's kind of overlooked, I think. You know, we're reading through 1 Samuel and you read it and you keep going. And it's like, no, that's really significant what happened there with Abigail. I can't wait to meet her someday. kind of like to hear what she was thinking as she was going through all that. A braver woman than me, that's for sure. So as uh, an endorsement today, ladies, I commend to you the book In Trouble and in Joy. It's by Sharon James. And it, um, it gives kind of a brief biography of four women um, who you may or, with whom you may or may not be familiar. So Margaret Baxter, Sarah Edwards, Anne Steele, and Frances Ridley Havergal. So uh, it's, you know, a very um, accessible book, I don't know, about 250 pages or so. And um, again, In Trouble and Enjoy by Sharon James. I really enjoyed this book. I read it a while ago, um, but it stays on my shelf where I can see it because whenever someone asks me for a book recommendation, just looking for something to read, this is one that I recommend. So I think you'll enjoy it. I recommend it to you. And as a parting thought, ladies, I would challenge us to consider if we are praying that God would use us, grow us in discernment and wisdom so that we can be used. doesn't have to be the same way that Abigail was used. We can be used in many, many ways. Moreover, are we recognizing when he's using others to perhaps guide or restrain us? And we can pray for that as well, for that recognition that we would know that 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 we would know when that's happening and be able to see, as David did, that blessed be the Lord for sending you to be a voice of wisdom. All right, ladies, that's all for today. Until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.